Hey everyone, and welcome to Theata Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theata Money. The different intro music you heard just then was the chorus of Tim Bouchong's Hail to Jesus, his rendition of Psalm 110. And the outro of this episode will be the entire song. I have that playing because... I asked uh, Pastor Bouchong if I could have the audio and use it for the intro and outro of this episode because I'm having his co-pastor, Pastor Kevin Minette of Syracuse Baptist Church in Syracuse, Indiana, on as a guest this episode to talk about real estate investing and creative ways that Christians can make more money, not just for the sake of making money, but to be faithful Christians and faithful stewards and grow God's kingdom. This episode is not legal advice. You I'm, you're not being told to do this course of action. You're not being given a step-by-step plan and being told to do this. So if you decide to do this without doing proper research beyond just listening to this episode and it goes horribly for you, you can't sue me because I'm not trying, like I'm not telling you this is what you have to do. I'm just introducing you all to an idea you can use, uh, you know, maybe on a small scale with your family, like we talk about for, uh, later in this episode about setting up well for your children, or maybe it's a new side hustle for you or eventually more than just a side hustle, but your main source of income. So I hope you all learn a lot from this episode and uh, are able to be better financial stewards and investors because of it. But once again, that's not any kind of legal thing of telling you to do this or anything like that. All right, so I am recording with Pastor Kevin from Syracuse Baptist Church in Syracuse, Indiana. Uh, Maybe some of you have already heard about him you know who he is uh, if not you might know about his co-pastor tim bouchong if that name doesn't ring a bell either but you've listened to the dividing line then you may have heard of the rock version of a mighty fortress that plays for the intro to radio free geneva so tim bouchong and kevin minette are the pastors of uh, syracuse uh, baptist church and uh, i'm gonna let pastor kevin talk a little bit about himself here yeah hi hi jeremy Yes, so let's see. Our family actually moved down to Indiana. Um, well, end of 2019 is when we came here. This was what I like to call BC uh, before COVID. And at the time, we had no idea that was on the way. And so, um, you know, we when we originally were moving to the U.S., we had in mind that God might maybe have us uh, used of him out in the western part of the U.S., um, and maybe he will in the future. But at this point, uh, with the whole uh, COVID measures that were coming and the things we didn't know about what was about to happen, we ended up staying around in this area where my wife is actually from this area. She's uh, from the South Bend, Indiana area. And it was actually through the lockdowns and kind of the dramatic responses that the churches were making to these uh, COVID lockdowns that we, that was how we actually discovered that we were near to Syracuse Baptist Church where Tim Bashong was serving and that they were taking a different approach and that they were um, allowing the church to continue to function, which was, which was a position that I also held to. So that um, allowed us to form very quickly a connection and and also, I had known about Tim just through Radio Free Geneva to some extent. I'd heard his name before, but that's about it. 
So, um, yeah, when we connected and found that we also hit it off on all points theologically, it wasn't very long before we were, you know, becoming members. And then very soon I took on a, a role as a pastor here as well. So uh, I have formerly been serving as a pastor up in Canada, church planting, and um, that's that's been home for me for uh, basically all my life, although I did meet my wife in um, South Carolina. We both attended college there, and that's where I met her. Uh, we have eight children, um, oldest of which is eight, uh, sorry, ten, 11 years old. The youngest is uh, nine months now. So it's a that's cool. quick, brief sketch of, of our lives at this point. That's cool. My father-in-law's family is from Bourbon, which is probably not too far from you. Oh, yeah. No, that's only literally 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. That's cool. All right. So brought you on this episode uh, to talk. Well, but before we get into that, uh, one other thing I want to say is I want to mention the conference that your church puts on uh, every October, the Jesus and Politics Conference. So I really wanted to go to it since your church is only a few hours away from me, but I think two years ago... I just ended up not going. I like went and ministered outside an abortion mill that morning instead. And then last year was the day that my wife and I did uh, uh, pictures for our baby who was born like a week later. Okay. And so hopefully this year, myself and some other people will drive up there and uh, we'll actually get to meet in person then. So Right. That'll be, that'll be great. And the good news is this year we might actually have space for you. The last couple of years, it's been getting tighter and tighter in the the building that we use um, that Syracuse Baptist Church uh, meets it. It's it's a small country church building, and even even at current membership levels, we 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 are squeezed in there on a Sunday. So, but now we've uh, we've got another um, an opportunity to host it at a, at a campground just a couple minutes down the road. That's cool. Yeah, so hoping to make it there with a few guys from the Indianapolis area. Um, nice. So anyways, yep. the uh, getting into this episode, we're going to be talking about reality. So Pastor Kevin is a realtor, but before we dive into that, I also wanted to let him talk about his side business a little bit and link to that in the description of this episode. Right, okay, so yeah, we, we've um, got our hat, you know, kind of got our hats in a number of different arenas, if you will. I've, of course, I now I've always, as long as I've served as a pastor, I've been in various, you know, bivocational contexts. Once we moved to the U.S. here, we kind of had a, a blank slate to start from. And so I have always had, you know, an interest in properties and real estate. Um, but we also have friends and family that own and actually manufacture a whole line of, you know, cosmetics, soaps, lotions, uh, mostly, you know, the sort of things that ladies would want, but it's all clean, natural based, um, organic product. What kind of sets us, well, some of the things that sets this, uh, our, our store Havila market apart and our product line, Piranata. What sets it apart really is that most of the time when you get into organic, natural and all this, it tends to be um, also in a very liberal worldview context. Um, 
however, in, in this context and the formulators, the manufacturers, our friends, we're approaching it completely from a Christian worldview context, um, a stewardship mindset, um, a, a taking care of, of the bodies God has given us mindset, and also, um, yeah, just stewarding, taking dominion, that kind of framework. So we're, our starting point is very different, and it, that vibe is very clear for anybody who walks into our store or visits our website at havila.market. That's cool. It's good to see more Christians getting into talking about being healthy and stuff like that. Like um, John Moody. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yes, I know I've, John. Yeah. Okay. I've gotten to listen to a lot of his stuff. I haven't gotten to um, meet him personally yet. Apparently my pastor Darren Stead has gotten to meet him at a conference. They both spoke at but like guys like him and uh, my friends, Jason Garwood and Dr. Anthony Silvestro, like guys like that talking about Christians being healthy to the glory of God and then it, maybe we can have the different aspects of health not dominated by like weird new age people and liberals and stuff like that. Right, exactly. Hey, by the way, John Moody is actually coming to our conference this fall. So if you come, you'll get him. Good. More of a reason to show up then. I've watched, I haven't listened to much of him lately, but I used to listen to like every episode of uh, John Harris's podcast. And I know he's there like every year. Oh, yeah. So that'll be good. I'm looking forward to it, hoping to make it up there for it. All right. Um, so uh, the main topic of this episode uh, is talking about reality. So is that your main source of income or does uh, Havila actually bring in more for you? So Havila Market, um, Havila. Okay. it's it's hard to uh, to quantify necessarily um, because everything is scalable, right? So this this store that I'm actually sitting in right now, we're only just one year in. So we have one year of, of um, economics to look back on. And no, I mean, it's, um, it's something that we can scale and, you know, compete with the real estate world. But, um, now let me just be clear. I'm not a realtor in the technical sense of having gone through a real estate, um, licensing or anything. However, there is huge opportunity. In fact, I would, I would argue better opportunity for investors um if you stay out of the becoming a realtor and actually just invest in properties which is what i do uh so yeah um some of some of what we do is um literally just we try to purchase especially in this market right now where we're facing so much um you know uh, in, increasing interest rates you're finding more and more people who purchase properties, you know, when interest rates were low and now they're maybe a couple, maybe three years into this mortgage and all of a sudden they need out. Well, at this point they bought properties, many of them who bought properties at a very inflated price at a very low, um, interest rate, you know, and they have at this point nearly zero equity in their homes. And now they're trying to get out of the home for whatever reason, maybe a move, a relocation, new job, whatever the situation is. And they're having a hard time turning that home over because if they want to sell that place, they're in a scenario where uh, they're literally going to have to, especially if they go through a real estate agent, they're going to have to pay money to sell their house. 
You see what I'm saying? So because the realtor fees are more than the equity they have into the house. Exactly. So that's where we we're able to come in and help scenarios like that um, and uh, pay you know top dollar. And the way we do it, we a lot of times we're taking properties and then renting them, doing like a rent to own model to another potential owner. So yeah, there's many strategies that we're using in this market, but um, definitely I think Christians should definitely be in the real estate world. I think there's huge potential. And and by the way, I think Christians should be the land landlords. So that's what we try to do. Yeah. I've heard a lot of different stuff about from different people recently about how great it is in real estate. Uh, I've been listening a little bit to the Benham brothers recently. Do you remember uh, those two guys? Yeah. They got kind of blown up with their HGTV show that never happened a decade ago and all of that. Yeah. And uh, they apparently got their start in business with real estate. And I think CrossPolitik had someone real estate on. I think it was CrossPolitik. Some podcast I was listening to recently had someone on talking about like just comparing numbers of investing in the stock market versus investing in real estate and investing in real estate almost always beats the stock market. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and really, I mean, obviously there, you can have a sour deal, but real estate is a very forgiving, a very forgiving, um, investment. And, you know, it, it can be a matter of just, just wait, you know, and you can, you can end up doing okay. But um, so even, even a bad deal isn't a terrible deal usually. And with real investing in real estate probably comes all of the, uh, things you can claim on taxes the following year to, uh, help with that. Absolutely. There are so many tax advantages in the real estate. Once you get into real estate, especially if you're, you know, buying properties, holding those properties, you know, putting new, um, equity into the properties through home improvement. Yeah, there are literally the the opportunities for for tax uh, savings are huge. And, you know, this is one of those scenarios where, you know, you look at with with taxation. I mean, I'm no fan of being taxed whatsoever. But um, when you look at what does how the you know, the, how the tax code is structured, you start to see okay, what is it that the government wants, you know, its citizens to be doing. Well, government gives preference to, you know, business owners, people who are creating jobs for the people that will be paid, uh, you know, charged at the highest tax bracket. Same with they want people who are building and investing in homes for people to live in who will be the taxpayers. So when you, you know, fill the role of the the investor, real estate, um, and business owner, you're in an advantaged position when it comes to taxes, because now you're employing the people that will be paying the taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so again, I'm not a fan of, you know, government taxation whatsoever, but you, you can see why, uh, they've structured it that way. And there's an advantage to, you know, following suit. I recently heard someone say, I forget who it was, something like, I disagree with just about everything of Keynesian economics, but at least there is a principle of uh, the government using taxation to promote people going into business and being creative and starting new endeavors. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, mind you, as a business owner, I'm constantly disturbed by, you know, how much of your, you know, hard-earned, yeah, hard-earned cash flow is going to, you know, pay the taxes. But um, I think we'll always be astonished by that. Yeah. I did hear recently that a business owner parent with children who are still minors can employ their children for up to $12,000 a year without their children having to pay any. Yes. Yeah. So like if for the last five years, your kids were minors, you employed them for $10,000 a year. Your kids leave the house with $50,000 in the bank. And also you save thousands of dollars in payroll taxes. Yes, absolutely. And, um, if we're getting onto this subject, I would say one of another thing that we have utilized that we combine with our business, with our real estate, is um, we we utilize we 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 try to avoid the banks as much as possible. We use the banks for transactions, but we are even our whole business here. We have built it off of our whole life policy, so we are not you know, borrowing from the bank at all. We're actually borrowing from ourselves in a sense. Um, and so we, we have our whole life policy that we borrow against and we pay our whole life policy back and we get to decide how much interest we're going to charge ourselves or our company. And so there's some real amazing advantages for taxation, but also for building wealth that are tied into um, utilizing that strategy that have been a huge um, blessing for for our family and has provided like some real cool doors of opportunity that, you know, I don't think we would have had if we had gone sort of more conventional banking through the conventional banking model. That's really cool. Um, So what are some of the ways that you make money off of doing stuff like this? I know like if you can fix up the house and flip it or renting it out probably are the most generic. Is, is that pretty much it? Or is there, are there other creative ways you can make money off of this? And also the tax avoidance, legal tax avoidance, not tax evasion, we already mentioned. Exactly. It's And it's actually, it's not even so much tax avoidance as it's built into the tax code. In fact, I'm not a, I'm not a tax strategist. I just kind of follow the guys that are. And they basically say the large bulk of the tax code is is this is explaining how not to pay taxes so um you know it's it's built into the code itself it's not some kind of evasion it's it's really these are measures that have been structured into the taxation laws and if you have you know strategists that can give you advice how to structure things um you can really leverage that and be be in a position where you're ahead of the game rather than constantly, you know, paying, uh, paying, you know, huge portions to, to the tax man. But as far as, as, um, you know, opportunities for building wealth in real estate, I mean, there's, there's so many, there are so many models right now. And one of the things that's happening with this, the increased, um, inflation and then the, now the increased, um, interest rates is some of the old school models that were being used back in the the 80s when there was high inflation are being brought back into kind of into 
common use in the real estate world. For for example, one of the the uh, things that we've been utilizing is what's called a creative financing structure, where once again we avoid when we're purchasing homes, we're essentially avoiding the banks altogether. We are taking um, properties. Many times we are doing a seller financing model, where the the seller is actually if in a case where they have large equity in the home, they sell it to us and we pay them out over a certain duration of time. The nice thing there is that we're able to structure a model where, for instance, we might take that very same property that we're paying the, the seller for. Okay, this could Generally, this is a scenario where you have sort of an elderly couple, let's say, who are wanting to downsize they don't need gobs of cash. They already have all the money they need. So they don't, it's not going to be to their advantage, especially through, you know, if we think about taxation, it's going to be a bad deal almost for them if they just take, say, 300000 or $400,000 all in one lump, lump sum. They're uh, in a much better position if we can pay them out, out over time. In fact, we can usually pay them a larger sum than they would have otherwise gotten if they had just put it on the market. For one thing, they're not going to have a real estate agent taking you know, their cut and and so forth, but we're able to actually offer them usually better, better prices. And then we might take that very same property and relist it as a rent to own. Um, there's, with the exception of Texas, most states allow you to do this. You can do a rent to own structure and what we will do is we'll take take a property and list it, rent to own, and then we we kind of leave a down payment. Um, there, the amount of the down payment is negotiable. So we might have a we might sort of have a threshold that we say you can get into this home if you put down a minimum of this much, this much percent of the home value, for instance. But we we will usually say. How much are you able to put down? And so that kind of leaves the ball in their court. And a lot of times they're willing to put down maybe more than we would have felt comfortable asking them for. And one of the things that we structure into our deals is that that down payment is non-refundable. So they go into this deal completely aware that the money that they're putting on as a down payment with the intention of you know, purchasing this property in the future they're renting to own it down the road, that that money that they're putting down up front, if they back out of the contract, we we don't give that back to them. That's part of the contract deal. So for some reason, down the road, they determine that um, they need to move or whatever. We might, in, out of kindness, maybe give them some money for the move to help them with costs and so forth. But as far as the contract is concerned, we don't owe them any of that down payment money. Um, so it's a really advantageous way to take properties and with really almost little to, to no actually upfront investment, you can um, get into a really nice, really nice properties that you can then relist as rent to own. And the thing with the rent to own is that person is, is an, at an advantage as well because they're not having to go to the bank to negotiate a mortgage, they're not having to go through those typical hoops that they might 
have run into. So it's attractive. It's kind of a win-win for for three parties. Yeah, the older couple gets the tax betterment for themselves of getting the payout over several years instead of all at once. You yes. get the income of buying this house without having to have a quarter of a million dollars just to buy it. And right. then you yeah, and then doing the rent to own and the rent to own person gets the uh savings of not having to pay at least not having to pay as much on a loan if you know i don't know if in the yeah. end would they still have to get a loan whenever the point where you switch over from renting to owning it comes yeah i mean um so that could be a, an option for them if they if they at some point said hey we want to take ownership of where we don't have all the funds right now we're going to get them a, a mortgage or a loan and finalize this home and that can happen. And that's an exciting day, right? When you can hand the keys over to the new owner, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's really a, a huge part of this is just finding strategic, creative ways to do a lot of these services in-house and not always just be reliant on the, um, you know, kind of the the banking system. And, and you know, we just know that the corruption that's there, even just the whole lending model where they're literally lending out, you know, 10 times what's actually in the bank. Um, so it's, it's, it, I feel like in many ways, it's just taking even dominion of just your investments, your, like I say, tying this in with the whole life policy too, for us has been a huge game changer in terms of opportunity, uh, for, for building long-term wealth and, by the way, the other huge part here is, you know, most, I think, I think most of us have grown up in, in families, in households where, you know, the, the thinking in terms of wealth building, well, for one thing, wealth building itself might, might have a negative stigma, but beyond that, there's sort of a mindset of it's every man for himself. We're all trying to get to retirement, you know, but if you can, build a build a structure and by the way this whole life banking model really supports this idea of general generational wealth building because mm. uh here's an example so my policy only has so much capacity okay so it's only structured to allow so much equity or so much you know volume of cash value in it so at some point, you saturate, you know, you basically fill up your your um, policy's capacity for, for cash. At that point, you can open up other policies under, say, your spouse, your children, or if it was a case of, um, you know, a grandparent, you could open them for your grandchildren. And so those policies become like a cash storage vehicle. And the really cool thing is um, it's it can be so um, beneficial for taxation as well because you are borrowing against your own policy to make purchases, to, to buy businesses, whatever it is that you decide to do with it. Um, and so that is debt, right? So you are creating a debt scenario, but it's not debt to a bank. It's literally debt debt to yourself, debt against your own policy. Um, and so you structure it so that your company is having to pay back into your policy at a certain 
you know, a, a certain interest rate, which is building the policy so that it becomes larger. But meanwhile, in terms of taxation, you're viewed as having, you know, this debt. It's debt. It, but really, it's debt to yourself. Um, but then, in the gen this generational context, you're able to then take those policies and write into it that these these policies are, uh, for instance, there's a death benefit attached to the whole life policy. So, um, in the case of death, that money is then transferred tax free to the next generation. And so there's, I mean, th this is a whole other podcast likely, but the advantages for long-term generational wealth building are, are huge. And I think for, you know, I, I'm just based on my bit of information and knowledge of you, I think you're probably thinking from a, you know, post-millennialistic mindset. I mean, hey, um, this, I feel like this type, this model really ties into you know, that the opportunity to, um, you know, grow a legacy and a life, uh, generational wealth, set your children up well for the future is ties right in with, you know, I think a very Christian minded worldview. Yeah. I open every episode mentioning Proverbs thirteen twenty two about leaving an inheritance for not just your children, but their children as well. Right. And stuff like this is good because all of our crazy inheritance taxes. Uh, my friend Dustin, he does the Christ and Capital podcast. And a couple of years ago, he told me the gift tax actually originates from people giving gifts to their kids and grandkids before they died to avoid inheritance taxes. And the government basically being like, wait, they're avo avoiding inheritance taxes. I got to get a piece yeah. of that. And that's how the gift tax started. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So. That's crazy. So yeah, now you can't just think, oh, I'm in really bad health. I don't know how much longer I have to live. I'm going to write my kid a check for $50,000 because if it's 10000 or more, it gets taxed as a gift tax. Yeah. Interesting. It's crazy. All of this stuff the government does. Oh, I think we've probably covered about all the bases. Um, I was going to ask you a good way to get into this uh, without having to have like a quarter million dollars in assets to get started, but you pretty much already covered that with uh, primarily, I I mean, you can do the thing you did with the whole life as well, but also primarily the, you said like an older couple that you can just pay the seller directly over time and like, yeah, then you don't need to have a quarter of a million dollars in savings or something like that to get started in something like this. You just got to have a little bit. Honestly, some of the the best and longest um, uh, guys that have worked in real estate for the longest, many or or many of them actually don't put any money down on properties. They are acquiring large, beautiful homes with no money down at all, and they are not going to the banks. They are not, and it's not just because they have a whole bunch of money. They're actually not buying it with their money there. Most of them are using some kind of terms, uh, some kind of creative financing model, because think about it. If you, even if you're a very wealthy man and you, you, um, take your money and say, put, put a couple hundred, three hundred thousand dollars on a home. And you say, look, I own this place outright. Well, but you still have $300,000 tied up in a box, right? So in a, that being a house. And so if you can um, utilize creative financing models, you can really leverage 
that cash flow and multiply your your dollar times over and over again. Yeah, and that's really great ways that we can have Christians doing really well uh, financially, not just in some like, you know, bad way of idolizing riches, though I'm sure some people would try to say any kind of Christians acquiring yeah. more than the bare necessities idolizing riches, but in a way that like glorifies God. I mean, look at the Old Testament. Abraham was super wealthy, David, Solomon. You have a lot of super wealthy guys that, though Solomon kind of went crazy at one yeah. point, for the most part, pretty godly people that were very wealthy and um, other than times in their life where they went astray that the Bible records, like were very godly with their wealth. David donated like thousands of pounds of gold to uh-huh. the building of the temple, like billions of dollars at today's gold valuation. Right. Exactly. And I, I just think, yes, of course, along with, you know, uh, thinking very biblically, I think about um, investing and wealth building and all of these these things you're bringing in is just having also a Christian worldview of how to utilize wealth. I mean, number one, how to build it, but number two, how to use it for God's glory, because obviously, you know, money it can be very, very abused, but it can also be used for a great purpose. And um, that's that's the track we're on. So, yeah, like with wealth and using tricks that, you know, like what ways could I when I have kids and grandkids that are looking at getting a, their own house? What ways can I try to help them save paying up one or two hundred thousand dollars over the course of their mortgage to the bank? and their uh, interest and what ways can I try to help them save money and, you know, make myself the bank or something like that for them to buy a house to save them all that money on interest. Yeah. I mean, are you asking the question or just, Oh, I was kind of saying that out as an idea, but yeah, if you want to answer. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, um, no, no, you're, you're right on track, but yeah, because on the one hand you could, you could become the bank for your, say your child who wants to, you know, wants to uh, build a house, you could lend him the money instead of the bank. Or better yet, you could open a whole life policy for him when he's a little kid. And it's super cheap at that point to get a whole life policy. Um, You're putting in like such small money, but that is going to build huge value over the course of the next say 18 years that's money that he could have for you know if he's going on to some kind of college program or something of that nature depending on what area of uh pursuit he is in um or if he wants to then take that money at once you know it's kind of been put into his trust you've taught him how to use use this policy well he could take it and start flipping homes or you know, build a business off of it. Um, so yeah, the the opportunities are there. We just have to kind of stop being so lazy and actually uh, make make use of them. I think a lot of I think a lot of, I mean, even for myself, I think about things that I've only become aware of in the last say five ten years, and it's like, oh man, if only I had known this opportunity was there before but you know as they say you know the best time to to start if it you know if you didn't already start is just let's let's start now you know and i think 
many guys, you know, are just like, well, I'll get around to figuring that out eventually. But it's like, well, this is, I think, should be pretty high on the priority list. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I don't have Zoom Premium, so it's going to be closing here in like 30 seconds. So if there's any last comment you want to make in that time, go ahead. No, I appreciate it, Jeremy. This was this was great. If you want to get in touch with me, um, you can go to our website, havala.market, or you can email me at kevin.minette at gmail.com. Great. And I'll put those in the description of this episode. So if people forget them or are driving and can't read them down, then they'll be able to get it there too. Thank you so much for your time, Pastor. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to this episode, everyone. Oh, I just want to ask if you'd like Yana Money that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. Turn on the Owl download and tell your friends about the podcast. So that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Sword upon their corpses, he will look.